All right. Now, let's the rest of us open our Bibles to Acts chapter 16, please. Acts chapter 16. We started recounting and preaching through this uh, story. History, I should say. Last week. I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to pick up the reading after I pray one more time here at the, uh, at the midnight prayer meeting and uh, hymn sing that Paul and Silas were having, having in their prison cell. That's verse 25. We actually left off at verse, uh, made a quick statement about verse 31 last week, but I don't want to jump in right there. We'll jump in at verse 25. Let us bow before the Lord now and let's pray over the ministry of his word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, that we have our Bibles. We have this record of everything you want us to know. In the scriptures, Lord God, there's your way of salvation, clearly laid out, pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to your coming kingdom, pointing us to redemption. In it, we have this history of how you worked when you spread the gospel initially in the days of the apostles and there's so much we can learn from it and I thank you for it Lord as we read and pick up this account where we left off last week Lord I pray that you would be in these words that I say just help me to say things that will be for the edification of your children and that things that would please you and if it pleases you that you would use this preaching to bring people to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved. People sitting in the room, people listening online, let all give heed to your word. Open their hearts, I pray, Lord God. Open my own mouth and my mind and my own heart. Let us be blessed in your word together. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray. Amen. All right, let's start reading in verse 25. Listen to this. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, the prison guard, that is, the prison keeper, called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hallelujah. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Praise the Lord. Praise God indeed. Now, so you know what was going on. You know, last week we talked at length about the, uh, the casting of the evil spirit out of that slave girl and uh, the, the tumult that arose over that because those, those wicked men used her and exploited her. And they saw that that was over. And so, because of their greed, they were motivated to hypocritically go to the leaders of the city and say, Ooh, look what they're doing in our city, and not lawful for Romans to listen to this stuff. And we know that all what they were really was just extremely jealous because their hope of profit from this girl was gone. And of course, the, uh, the magistrates uh, were easily manipulated. And they uh, just simply had Paul and Silas beaten up and uh, beaten badly enough that they actually had visible wounds, stripes on their backs and threw them in prison. And the, the prison keeper, who, the jailer, who becomes a very significant part of the story here, uh, is given this charge and is told to keep them in fastens them in stocks in the inner part of the prison, right? And that's where we started to read today, where they are. And at midnight, we went over this last night, at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, right? We made something out of that last week because, as you know, when ultimately what happened happened, Paul and Silas and none of the prisoners left. God used this fact that they were praying and singing at midnight, uh, presumably, to have this tremendous impact on everybody around them, so that when the opportunity for everyone to flee came, nobody did. And, and, and uh, I, 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 believe, I believe the reason that they didn't flee was because Paul and Silas didn't. I think they would have done whatever Paul and Silas did. The fact that Paul and Silas stayed made them stay. And so these guys were just riveted by what was going on. 
The jailer himself slept through the singing, but the earthquake apparently woke him up. Right? And I want to show you something. We didn't get into this so much last week, but I just want to take you from here up to verse 31 and just point out a couple of things that I think can be instructive for us. Let me, let me preface it, though, by just reminding you about something concerning what we're doing here right now. I mean, what is it that we're doing? We're, we're attempting to exposit the passage of Scripture. And what that means is we're going through this verse by verse and trying to mine from it what's there, whatever we can. We don't want to, like, turn the Scriptures into meaning something that they weren't intended for and take that too far. But at the same time, the point of going through a passage of Scripture like this is to see whatever you can that's actually truly really there and, and allow God to instruct you by it. And so in this passage of Scripture that I've read, even though it's a narrative, a story, basically, a history, you can see things from the example of Paul and Silas, right? Because they're brothers. I mean, Paul and Silas are brothers in the Lord. They're Christians. We can see things in these things in the examples of their conduct as they faced all this that can be instructive for us. And as believers, we should be desirous to learn those things. But also in this passage, and it, it's kind of haphazard because they don't necessarily all go together, but in this passage of Scripture, you also see uh, some important teaching concerning what the gospel is and, and who it affects and how it affects them. So we'll talk about that as well. And then even in this passage, you see this little bit at the end where Paul uh, makes this unforeseen but still very powerful stand over the fact that as a Roman citizen he had some rights and like those had been completely ignored and he wasn't just going to sit there and take it. What, what were his reasons for that? How far did he take that? That's instructive for us too. So in a sense, there's like, I'm saying this because there's like three distinct sections, I think, in this part of this chapter. And the three of them seem like they're lessons all by themselves, not necessarily related to one another, even though they all form one narrative and they all form one story, right? So I just want to remind you, it's not that like I'm scatterbrained or anything like that, but we take the scripture as it comes, right? That's what good Bible exposition does. If God presents you a lesson about something and then suddenly it shifts gears and it's a lesson about something else, that's what you teach. You let the Word of God speak. That's what Bible exposition is. That's what expository preaching is, right? I don't stand up and preach to you about this subject or that subject per se, although that has its place and I have done that before. And that's fine. But mostly what we want to do is let the Bible speak in the way that it's given to us. Do you understand? So that's your little mini lesson about the importance of expository preaching and why it's such a big part of the ministry here in our church. So, and that's the best way to learn the Word of God, I think. Um, now, so here you go. You have this story about the singing. It, it, it tells you a few things, right? A few facts. Starting in verse 26. Suddenly there's this great earthquake, right? So, so it's an earthquake. There's, 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 there's event number one. There's this earthquake, and as we said last week, it's an unusual earthquake. Because it's not just an earthquake that 
seems to decimate the entire area, it doesn't make the prison collapse. It's an unusual earthquake because, as I said last week, you would expect an earthquake to shake things up. You wouldn't expect an earthquake to unlock the, the chains of everybody sitting in a prison though, right? So you have, a, you have something being described as an earthquake here and was an earthquake, but it seems to me to have been an isolated incident that God very deliberately entered a situation for the purpose of doing something. So you have this earthquake, and I want you to think of this from the perspective of the jailer, right? It's no doubt the earthquake that woke him up, right? I mean, that's basically what it, it goes on to say. Uh, verse 27 says the keeper of the prison woke up from his sleep, right? So, so he's, not, he's, not, he's not in on the hymn singing and the praying, which has had this tremendous impact on the rest of the prisoners, but he's awakened by this earthquake. And then the second thing from his perspective is of what? He jumps up out of bed when he hears and feels all this commotion, and he runs to the prison, into the inner part of the prison at least, and what does he see? He sees the doors open, and he sees that the chains are all loosed off of the prisoners, right? And so his reaction is to immediately pull out his sword and to want to kill himself. And the reason that he would want to do that would be... I mean, if you notice, as you read through the story, in the course of basically an hour, one night, starting around midnight, you have an earthquake... You have this encounter with the prisoners. You have the, you have the prison guard taking Paul and Silas out of the prison to his house. You have him treating the wounds on their back. You have him preparing food to feed them. You have him preaching the gospel to everyone in his house. And you have him baptizing all of them. And it all basically happens in the course of an hour or so, in one evening. And then it would seem that he actually takes them back to the prison. Because verse 40, at the end of the story, says, once the magistrates came, they went out of the prison and went to the house of Lydia. So you have, you have, you have the prisoner, the prison guard, who was going to kill themselves because they were all free, in fear of what might happen to himself and to his family if they found out that he was the one who was guarding them and all these prisoners escaped. You have him going from about to kill himself to actually taking Paul and Silas out of the prison and to his house. Right? Because God had so powerfully worked in his heart. Right? Changed man. I want you to see that from his perspective, he had an earthquake wake him up in the middle of the night. He saw the prisoners that he was charged with his life to guard. And then he had his sword out, and he was one thrust of his own sword away from death. When the voice rang out, the voice of the apostle who just devoted himself to serving the Lord. Paul in prison is an interesting study in and of itself, isn't it? Paul in prison happens several times in the New Testament narrative. You have Paul in prison here at Philippi. You have Paul in prison at Jerusalem, and basically forgotten for a couple of years towards the end of the narrative, right? You have Paul in prison basically on a ship. 
He's basically on a prison ship on his way to Rome when it gets shipwrecked at Malta, right? Then you have Paul in prison at Rome. And then you have Paul at prison in Rome again, at least. And in every case, in every case, you have this apostle who seems to be this incredibly effective minister of the gospel, even in all these imprisonments. And you have him, in this particular instance, not desperately, it seems, crying out for release. Because when the prison doors are all shake, shaken open and his chains are shaken up, he doesn't leave. Right? And that happens on a few occasions. I mean, when later on in this story, when, uh, when he goes out of the house with the prison guard, presumably he could flee then. But he doesn't. He actually ends up going back to the prison. And then when they send word and say, you're free, you can go, he says, no, I'm not going anywhere. You tell them to come and get me out. So what do you see here? What you see is the apostle is, the apostle is just so devoted to serving the Lord that the fact that he is being unjustly imprisoned doesn't seem to have any, like, derogatory effect on his spirit. He's just going with whatever the Lord puts in front of him. And it's amazing. And in it, you see this. First of all, you see him call uh, out to the prisoner, right? Or to the prison guard. There's a certain boldness in that, right? I mean, he's coming in. He draws a sword. Paul maybe doesn't know what he's going to do with the sword right away, but presumably he becomes aware in an instant that he's about to kill himself, right? And then he cries out, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. There's a certain boldness. Look, there's, we want to serve God, right? Who wants to serve God? Who wants, who, who, under, who, that was a pretty weak response for people that are Christians, right? You do know that we're called to serve the Lord. Do I have to, I have to, I have to back up and make a different Bible study here and show you that we're called to serve? We are. We're called to serve. I know you. You want to serve the Lord. You want to serve the Lord in the gospel. Because in the end, it's the gospel. And that we've served the Lord in the gospel. That's going to count. That's going to matter. That's going to bear fruit. We want to serve the Lord in the gospel. And so Paul is like in this moment, I think, extremely bold. In that he simply yells out, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! You know, Paul recognized something that I think is instructive for all of us to recognize. We need boldness. There's a boldness in the fact that this guy was beaten up, was in prison, didn't know what was going to happen, and then just yells out to save, really, and comfort this prison guard. We need boldness. Paul, when Paul wrote Ephesians, which he wrote from one of his other imprisonments, by the way, he wrote, you know, the power, he writes about the whole armor of God. Are you familiar with that passage? In Ephesians chapter 6, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, all that stuff. At the end of that passage, he instructs the believers to pray always. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Right? So he tells them to pray. And he tells them to pray all the time in the Spirit 
watchful to this end. In other words, be careful to make sure. Be careful to make sure you're always praying for each other. All the saints, right? But then he adds in Ephesians chapter 6, that was verse 18. Then he adds in verse 19 a personal word. Listen to this personal prayer request. Uh, After he tells them to all pray for each other, he says, and for me. He asks them to pray for him. Do you know what he asked for? For me, that utterance, speaking, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, because I think it's a sort of rhetorical question, but I think I know if you're in Christ, you know it. I know what the answer is for you. But how many of you have a desire to share the gospel with people in your life? Right? How many of you feel like you want to do it, but maybe you're a little on the quiet side, or you're a little inhibited, or you're a little on the shy side, you think you just don't feel like you have the strength, the courage, the boldness to do it. You, You know it, you want it, you love it, you truly love it, but you just feel like you lack a little something that, that something on the inside to like prompt you to go forward and like invite that person to church or open up and ask that person, you know, do you know about God? Do you know about Jesus? Do you know about the way of salvation? You're afraid maybe you're going to mess something up. How many of you are like in that category, would you say? First of all, I am. I, I, I feel sometimes like I've got it, I know it, and I've shared the gospel with lots of people. I give out gospel tracts all the time, and not all the time, but most of the time, you know? And, and I love doing that. Sometimes that opens up an opportunity to speak. Most of the time it's just, would you please read this? God bless you. You know, it's good. But, but, but I want you to see and be encouraged by this, that the Apostle Paul, Paul, right, who we're talking about, asked Christians to pray for him that he would open his mouth boldly. Paul, Paul asked other Christians to pray that he would have boldness. How often do you ask God for boldness? How often do you pray for me that I would have boldness? How often do you pray for each other that you would have boldness to speak the gospel? I know some really bold brothers and sisters sitting in this room right now. I know some other brothers and sisters that are every bit as passionate for the gospel, but maybe just that aspect of boldness doesn't quite come as naturally to them. I'm, I'm kind of one of those, right? But we got to pray, because the source for the strength inside, The source for what is needed inside, in us. The Holy Spirit living in us. We need to ask for that. If if you don't feel like it comes naturally to it, pray to God who is not limited by what comes naturally to you. Do you understand that? God is not limited by what naturally inhibits you. God can do mighty and miraculous things in you for the cause of His gospel if we'll just ask. Here's the apostle writing from prison. He's witnessing to people while he's in prison. And he says, 
pray for me that I might have utterance might be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He was in prison because he was a preacher of the gospel and he's asking for boldness. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'd say you're pretty bold if you're preaching the gospel to the point where I got you arrested. Right? But he's still asking for boldness. You and I need to as well. Right? Amen? Now, there's something else. Not only did he need boldness, but his words. He said, do yourself no harm. Do your, again, trying to exposit, get everything out of this again. Those words, do yourself no harm. There's, there's, there's care. He, in an instant, in an instant, the Holy Spirit working in him gives him compassion and care for the guy who's holding him prisoner unjustly. Right? Don't hurt yourself. Really? I mean, I mean, if the guy kills himself, we can walk out of here really easily. I mean, listen, you're sitting, you're there, you're in prison, you know that you're not in prison, you know you're innocent of anything bad, right? And you're there, you're in prison, there's an earthquake, the doors open, your chains fall off, and the only thing standing between you and freedom is the guard with a sword in his hand. And he wants to kill himself. Yeah, man, do it, so we can get out of here, right? There would be the instinctive human reaction. Paul is like, don't hurt yourself. Counterintuitive, right? Why? Because of compassion. Because of compassion and care that he had in his heart for this guy. Mark 6.34. You know the Bible says this a number of times about Jesus, right? And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with what? Come on, guys. Compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And then this. So he began to teach them many things. Mark 6, 34. Jesus saw a multitude. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion for them. And so he taught them stuff. That's what Paul wants to do as well. Paul wants to share the gospel with this man. Don't hurt you. Paul knew that if this guy thrust that sword into himself, where was he going to wake up? A lake of fire? Yeah? How's that for compassion for a lost soul? That's another thing to pray for. Dear Lord God, give me boldness. Dear Lord God, give me compassion. Compassion for lost souls around me. Let me take some of those flyers and invite people I know to come to a picnic because they might, they might hear the gospel and God might choose to open their hearts and they might hear the word, they might believe and they may get saved. Let me go to a street fair with some of my brothers and sisters from the church and just stand there and hand out a couple of gospel tracts, maybe say a word of encouragement or something, to pray a prayer for somebody, something, something, Lord God, because there are people walking all over the place who don't know the truth. Just, just let me do something, Lord. Give me compassion. Give me boldness. Give me compassion. And then the third, the third part of all that is, he said, we're all here, right? And, and the fact that they were all there shows that he was more concerned with the welfare of the lost soul than he was with his own welfare as a wounded, physically wounded, unjustly imprisoned person. He was more concerned about the jailer than he was about his own health and his own safety. That's someone who's dialed in to serving God. Amen? 
And the Bible says that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done. We've been praying for the last couple weeks for our brethren in Afghanistan, Christians, you know? And it's like, we're so comfortable here that even just like being part of a church fellowship is like this optional thing in our lives that we'll do if we have the time and we feel like it. When we have brothers and sisters who believe the same gospel who will die if they continue to worship the Lord and will gladly accept that death rather than be separated from their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There you go. There you go. You read it here in the Bible. The Bible's a radical book. The Bible puts a lot of people off when you really get into it. When you go through it verse by verse and you read through passages and you make observations like this, it puts people off. That's what Jesus said he would do. He said, I came to bring not peace, but a sword. Right? All right. Now, so the guy, the prison guard, calls for a light, runs in, falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. Now notice, notice some things here. He brings them out. Right? He was going to kill himself because he thought they escaped. Now he actually brings them out when he realizes that they never fled. He has gone from... (laughs) He has gone from earthly fear to heavenly fear. Right? He has gone from, I'm really in trouble here, to... I'm really in trouble before God. Listen, the fear of the Lord is clean, Psalm 19 says. And that's what he's gone to now. Now he's gone from, i got to kill myself because these prisoners escaped, to, what are his words? What must I do to be saved? Can you stop and think for a minute about that word, saved? Because they repeat it back to him, don't they? He asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And they answer using that word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Right? You and your household. What is saved? Well, saved necessarily infers what? Danger. Trouble. This guy went from understanding the earthly danger that he was in to understanding that the God that these guys serve, I'm in trouble with him and I need to be saved. May I say to you, brothers and sisters, this man learned in that instant, listen to me, one of the most important lessons that everybody in the world needs to learn and understand. The entire world is judged. Do you know that? I, I, I get a little antsy sometimes when people say, pray for America and, you know, get back to this and everything else. Listen, 
I don't know that God sees it like that when I read the Bible. Especially like Romans chapter 1. I mean, that's Romans chapter 1 is like, and we read some of it last week, I won't again today, but that's like the indictment of the whole world. The whole world turned its back on God, and so God gave up the whole world. Right? And it's very simple. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. The wrath of God is revealed in all of the nonsense you see in the world today. All of it. And he's talking about the whole world. When the world had the knowledge of God, it suppressed it, it says there. Turned, turned it aside. Shut it out. Made gods of stone and carved images and statues to worship instead. And so, because they didn't retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up. And you see all of the crooked, corrupt, filthy behavior in every nation on the earth. And the way to escape is not to moralize your nation. That will never happen. There is one way to escape. And Paul wasn't ashamed of it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's Romans 1. Right? If you read Romans 1 carefully, it's the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That's the gospel of Christ. And then, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the sin, all the unrighteousness, all the wickedness of men. The righteousness of God is the gospel. Believe, be saved, that's it. Otherwise, the wrath of God is completely on everyone, every nation, in every place, in every era of human history. The world is judged, and there is one escape, and that is the gospel of Christ. That's the message of the Bible. This jailer went from understanding about his earthly dilemma to understanding that the God that these guys were serving... That's the one who's got the whole world under judgment. And I need to be saved from that. That's why when we preach, we preach the truth from Scripture. So that this world understands that it's condemned. If the world doesn't understand that it's condemned, how can it repent? If the world doesn't repent, how can it truly believe? I mean, are you telling me that people can come to God with unrepentant, proud hearts? and just pray some prayer and they're saved? What happened to God resists the proud and gives His grace to the humble? And so people need to understand the truth about that. So He gives this message then. I like this now. Watch, verse 31. Wow, you know, I left off at verse 31 last week and I've taken, I've taken all this time just to get to... But, but look... <laughs> That's just, look, how long have you known me, man? That's, that's how it goes. So look, I don't care. I want, you to, I want you to just hear. You're watching this? I want you to hear this, man. Look. Look at this statement. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Every part of that is important. Number one, believe. I thought to myself, if he shared Scripture, if he was actually sharing Scripture with them, because, here, let me point this out first. Sometimes people will quote verse 31 as if that's all he said. Just like he made this one statement. Because it is the direct answer to the question, right? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. But then look at the next verse. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So what did he do? He didn't just make this statement and that was it. He explained things to them. He explained the truth to them. So when he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, no doubt he explained what it was to believe. It meant to put your faith in him. It means to trust in him. Maybe he took them back to Genesis and took them back to the time when Abraham was concerned. Lord, I'm getting old. I'm going to die. There's no, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any descendants. The, the, the one, the someone, someone who's actually a servant in my house is going to explain it. And God says, no, no, I'm promising you right now that, that, that one who's going to be born of your own body is going to uh, be your heir and he's going to inherit everything. God, and he makes that promise, and Abraham's, yep, I believe you, God, I believe you, Lord, and what? And God credited him as righteous because he believed. That's what belief means in this sentence. It means to trust God's word. It means God says something, and I accept it, and I believe it. Right? So, believe, now believe what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of those words means something. Right? Lord. Lord. That is our sovereign ruler and master. That's what Jesus is. Right? Not Lord like Darth Vader in Star Wars. Right? Not, not Lord like Lord Grantham in Downton Abbey. Right? I, both cultural references that I like, by the way. But Lord. Sovereign Lord over everything. Right? Lord. Jesus. Which means Savior. Jesus. Jesus. Saved you from your sins. You have broken God's commands in every imaginable way and you are caught up in the whole worldwide condemnation that currently exists. You've sinned. You say you've never worshipped the statue. You know what? Whenever you've like made your own pleasure, your God, you're like worshipping yourself. You say that you're, you're morally pure, even like a, a lustful thought towards another person is, 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 is the same as adultery in God's mind. Oh, well, I've never murdered anyone. You ever witness to people and they say that? It's like the number one thing. Well, I never killed anybody. It's like, it's like, that's, it's like that's, that, that's like the worldly understanding of what pleases God. Do whatever you want, just don't kill anybody. That, that, that's, that's a pretty low standard, man. Especially when the Bible says if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. In your heart. So this, so this, this jailer needs to understand this is what you're being saved from. You've sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned for your whole life. And the God that Silas and I serve is holy. And the whole world is under the judgment of God. Including you. And you will be judged. And you will not survive. Jesus means Savior. He's the one. The question was, what must I do to be saved? Turn to the one whose name means Savior. The Lord Jesus. And then what's the third word there? Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the... He, listen. In, in, in Judaism... Everything points ahead to the Messiah. You know? And this Jesus is that one. He is the anointed of God. Christ means that Jesus is the one. The God that Silas and I are preaching to you, right? Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one that God chose and anointed 
to be the inheritor of the promises made to Abraham, to be the King of kings and Lord of lords like we sang about before. He is the one who God chose to redeem you and save you from your sins. And here's what he did. He shed his blood and he died on the cross and he received the wrath of God in his death so that the judgment that the whole world is under for the one who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that judgment was absorbed, taken by Jesus when he died on the cross on our behalf. So we're walking among the world, those of us who have faith in Christ, but we're free from the fate of the world. And this is what this prisoner, this prison guard, I should say, is hearing. He's hearing this sort of thing. This is what the good news is. They took Jesus' body after he died off the cross, and they put it in a grave, and on the third day he rose from the dead. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Judgment is coming. Judgment against sin. Judgment against the entire world. Every race, every person, every group, every single human who's ever lived in history. People who are not yet born. Judgment is coming upon all sin, and the only way to escape is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But then there's one more part of that too, isn't there? You and your household. And sometimes people will think to themselves innocently or misinterpret that to mean if he believes his whole family will be saved. And that's not what it means. And that's clear when you read on, isn't it? Because it says they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So the individuals in his house needed to hear the word of the Lord as well. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, he must have lived really near the prison. You know, for all this stuff to happen. You know, like I live right, right next door to the church building. Here. He was right nearby with his family. You know, and so it's like they take him out of the prison and he takes him over to his house. And what does, what does Paul do? He preaches the gospel to the whole family. Because they need to hear it too. Man, they went to bed that night. Not at all. Probably realizing that they were going to be awakened in the middle of the night to meet God. Because that's what happened, right? Hallelujah. And so, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And it says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all in his house. Look at it. And he took him. That's the prisoner. Look at He takes him. Here's what happens. Here's what happens when someone believes. I feel like the sentences in verse 33 are like, thought-wise, maybe in reverse order. Because, you know, it, it, but you have, they hear the word and they believe the word. And it changes him. Right? And so he goes from prison guard, who's holding him in prison, and he goes to this. Took them, washed their stripes, so those wounds in the back, which could have killed them, right? Washed their stripes, treated the wounds in his back. And as a, as a jailer, he probably had some training in that too. He probably knew what he was doing. He treated them. He set food before them, but maybe the most powerful thing was what? He rejoiced. Now look at the end of verse 34. Having believed in God with all of his household. You see? So it wasn't just that he believed and everybody got saved. He heard the word and all of his family heard the word. He believed and all of his family members believed. He, uh, after he believed, got baptized. 
all of his family members got baptized. They were all saved. And so he's rejoicing because he knows judgment is coming. He knows it's a rotten, wicked world. And God, the true God, is going to judge it all. But because of Jesus, he and his loved ones are saved from it. Hallelujah! How about you? Are you saved? Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? How about you watching this online? Are you saved? You need to be saved. You know, there's another lesson that I say all the time when we come to these passages. The same thing happened in Lydia's house, right? They got the whole family involved. You saw it in Cornelius' house. You see it. You saw it among the people at Antioch and Pisidia. You saw it in Lydia's house. You see it here. He knows he's hearing the truth, so he gets his whole family in on it. Can you see a lesson there for yourself? You love people, right? You love people. You should be praying for people that you love. Don't just assign to them, ah, they'd never believe that. No, listen, every one of us sitting here was someone who probably never would have believed that. Do you understand that? Do you understand that there's no Christian who's alive that was like, you know what? That guy there is probably going to be a great Christian. I think I'll witness to him and see if he gets saved. We're all utterly hopeless and lost before we get saved. Don't write anybody off. Some of you have told me your testimonies in this room and some of the stuff you used to do before you knew the Lord and some of the ways you used to act, some of the things you were involved with before you knew the Lord. And yet the gospel came to you and God opened your heart so that you could believe Listen, be like this jailer. Go to your household. Go to your friends. Go to strangers that you meet and invite them in. Invite them to listen to this, what we do week after week after week after week, giving out the gospel. Invite someone to listen to it. Invite someone to come to something and hear it. Learn to share it yourself and share it with people. Give people literature they can read. Whatever. Be an ambassador for Christ. Get the word out to people. This guy got it out to his whole family. You, you, you know what's amazing? This jailer became a Christian and an evangelist in the same night. Didn't he? Yeah. He became a Christian and someone who brought other people into it. Or God used them to, right? All in one night. Oh, there's so much more that I want to say. and I, I didn't get to the end of the chapter again. I trust that was not sarcasm. (laughs) I could go on, but I'm not going to. That's a good place to leave it. Look, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about reaching people. We're talking about things like boldness and compassion. We're talking about inviting people into the kingdom. And I just stood up here in front of all of you before I started preaching and listed off to you a whole list of things coming up next month, starting next week, that are all opportunities for you to invite people in. All opportunities for you yourself to be involved and experience the joy of fellowship and also invite people in where they can hear the word to be saved. Pray, God, give me boldness. Give my brothers and sisters boldness. God, give me compassion. Give my brothers and sisters compassion. And let us use what you have given us. 
to build our own fellowship, but also to reach out to others. Amen? Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had together here today to consider your word. I'm sorry, Lord, that my words were long, but, but I said the things I think you wanted me to say. And, and I pray, Lord God, that all of us would be prompted in our hearts to respond to your word, to be doers of it, to pray. Lord, in, in your hands are all, is all the strength and power that is needed to move us and help us. For you to use us. That's all in your hands. You're the vine, we're the branches. Give us that strength, Lord God. Give us that boldness. Give us that compassion. Fill us in these last days to be the servants of our Lord Jesus and your gospel. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for anyone who's listening to this that needs themselves to be saved, someone listening to this that's in the place that the jailer was, well, we preached it, Lord, what they need to do in order to be saved. In humility, in that, in that repentant spirit that recognizes that they're judged because of their sin, may they just believe, just believe and receive you, Lord Jesus. May they cry out to you in faith, Lord Jesus receive you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray everything. Amen.